This Seattle Medium podcast is sponsored by the Port of Seattle. Hi, my name is Mian Rice, the Diversity and Contracting Director for the Port of Seattle. As a public agency, the Port of Seattle serves the community and our investments should benefit everyone who lives and works here. The Port is committed to equity, diversity, and inclusion and to leveling the playing field. That means continuing to open doors to contracting opportunities to all, especially women and minority-owned and disadvantaged businesses. How can you participate? List your business in Vendor Connect, a database of contractors. Attend PortGen workshops to learn how to do business with the port. Learn more about contracting opportunities at portseattle.org. For more information on operating a concessions at Seattle Tacoma International Airport, visit lease.seataxshops.com. We are one day removed from Black History Month, but that doesn't mean that we are through honoring people and organizations that have had a positive impact in our communities and are part of Black history, our history, and American history. This morning, talk about a local trailblazer and organization is John Hayes, president of the Black Law Enforcement Association of Washington, officially known as Blue. Good morning, John. Good morning, Chris. Can you hear me all right? I can hear you. Perfect. Good morning. And, right. and hey, the show is going great today. I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, John, let's start our conversation by telling people a little bit, a little bit without giving away the heart of our conversation uh, for this morning yet, uh, about Blue, the Black Law Enforcement Association of Washington. Um, a little, uh, real quick introduction to it. It was formed back in 1975 by a, um, by a larger group of black officers that were with the Seattle Police Department and then branched out to several other departments in the region. And I'll tell you about a few of those other departments uh, a bit later. But, um, but it was formed because of the um, lack of movement with the Seattle Police Department, but also the lack of, of black um, police officers on the Seattle Police Department. And their lack of movement that took place during their years of employment. And I, um, uh, it was kind of funny because I was in college at the time and, and, and I hadn't joined the Seattle Police Department until 1982. And I was really surprised at uh, some of the issues that the department was facing. And at that time, Chief Fitzsimons, um, he knew me from church up in Immaculate, and so he was constantly recruiting me, constantly. And and I was I just thought because of my acquaintance with him there, but then getting on the department, I realized he had a much larger vision for what what he was pushing for, and and wanted me to be kind of like a part of that. The um, uh, and while this was going on, I was just really kind of surprised that. Um, there were that many issues on the department, and I, and someone gave me a box of information that was uh, generated through the making of Blue, and I started reading some of the names, the people, and things like that, and I said, "Wow, this, you know, a lot of issues were going on here," and 
as a result of those founders is what had me get involved even more. John, let's uh, kind of get into the conversation uh, because there is a story behind the founding of Blue that most people are not aware of. Um, that is the career of Joe Tolliver, one of the founders of Blue. But let's talk a little bit about Mr. Tolliver, his career, and the circumstances that really led him to being a founding member of Blue. The um, one, Joe Tolliver was probably the pillar or the, the bigger focal point. Um, Joe Tolliver came on the department back January 1st of 59, and he, um, he had come up to Seattle like a lot of African Americans at the time for job opportunities, things like that. He was a college graduate. He wanted more options. His sister was up here, and he said he wanted to make the move just to uh, be a teacher, to, to work in the community, things of that nature, and he, and he loved the area once he got here. So in that process, he was actually recruited um, by the police department, and and it and he was a um, he was a very he was a, he ended up being a top pick. He took the exam. He said, "Okay, I'll, he wanted to give it a try," and he says he took the exam. And out of over 400 people that you know took the test, the exam at the time to become an officer, he placed number 25. And it, with seeing that, I know the department said, oh, this is a great opportunity, a great prospect, things of that nature. But even for Joe at the time, he did not realize what was in store for him. Um, but he had the demeanor, the style to, to kind of take on this challenge. And um, Joe came up from Texas and... Uh, I think I might have just said that, but he came up from Texas, and um, the whole lifestyle change was different. You know, Seattle's so much different than a lot of the um, states and all that are in the South, especially um, at that period of time in the in the fifties and sixties. Right, and <clears throat> I'm sorry. Right, there was a yeah. Let's move forward a little bit because there was a lawsuit that was filed by the members of Blue against the city of Seattle and the Seattle Police Department. It really led to some significant changes here as it relates to employment uh, with SPD and other public entities. Yes. Yes, the lawsuit itself was, and and Joe was a pillar piece of this. He he is the one that really helped push the, the need for the lawsuit and along with, you know, some other uh, individuals that were on the department, but the push came because of a lack of promotion, lack of opportunity, and they were oftentimes stereotyped into particular areas. You have to understand that coming through, you know, the start of the 60s, imagine what the country was like as a whole, and Martin Luther King coming to Seattle in 61, and then the changes that were taking place around the city of Seattle. But those opportunities weren't given to the black officers who had to work these events and things of that nature. And so um, as he was, as his tenure happened on the department, his, his awareness to what those opportunities were and what it meant for advancement of black officers on the department. So he turned and decided, he says, we need, to, we need to come together. And what was really interesting 
was that the city of Seattle itself, many of the activists, uh, the black leaders that were in the community, were really pushing for more police involvement. And they were the ones who, who were kind of saying to us, we have to come together. And I think um, some of you might very well remember an individual by the name of Charles Huey. And um, he was one of the individuals, along with three others, who really pushed to get black officers into the central area to help with the issues that they were facing with so many of the other officers that were patrolling the area. And he had a strong push. I think a combination of that and what was asked back in 73 helped with the formation of Blue because other departments, like the UW Police Department, the uh, King County uh, Sheriff's Office, the uh, and so many other departments that were in the area that um, are in the region were also feeling some of the same things that Seattle was feeling. So the lawsuit came into play asking for, for demands about promotions, assignments, and representation in the community. Many of the officers were used as a front to calm things but were automatically turned around and put back into patrol positions that were, you know, didn't have the leadership that was needed when asked to be in the forefront and then all of a sudden be out of the scene and out of the area again. So in 1975, a lawsuit was filed to change those. But the, um, that lawsuit itself was filed back in May of 1977. And, and it really asked for some specific things about our place in the police department. And the um, and Blue or the members of the Seattle Police Department, the 22 members that signed on to this lawsuit um, uh, were represented in the forefront. So it wasn't as if it was just Joe, but Joe was a strong leader in it. But there were 22 other members who went ahead with this with this uh lawsuit right now uh john you all in, in blue are hosting an event later this month to honor mr Tolliver, correct yes we are and it's on um, march uh 21st and it'll be at first ame church and pastor Carey and so many members within the church there are assisting us with um, holding this special recognition for joe Tolliver. It'll, we have it listed as going from five to nine, but it's kind of those, you know, um, the event itself um, will probably come together at six. We hope to have a lot of displays and stuff for people to be able to come in and see and, and make them aware of some of the history that took place prior to the lawsuit and then also educate them about some of these things. And we thought the best way to do it is to turn around and let's honor one of the original members, the the person on the on the front lines of this, and that was Joe Tolliver. Right, and uh, you know, Mr. Tolliver is retired; has been retired for some time. Um, yes, but can you kind of speak briefly about the importance for us to honor one of our own, especially while we can still hear firsthand accounts of their life and experiences directly from them, and also pay tribute and give them their flowers while they're still here with us. 
You know, Chris, that's the biggest part. They're still here. We, we're not looking back in a way as if this was a person uh, who, has, who has already passed on. Um, but we're looking at a person, 92 years old, who still talks about those days. He talks with community. He talks with um, so many other uh, folks that are uh, about policing back then and where we are now. So he's he's still active at 92 years old, and and I and a while back I was sitting in a meeting and I was listening to him speak, and a lot of retired black officers go and they meet at this particular place and you know sometimes talk about the good, the good old days in their eyes and then talking about where we are in policing now, but Joe's always been one of the realists who brought together the ideas that where we were and what we did back in 1975 was huge in being able to make changes in the police department, but police departments everywhere. So, so I was sitting there listening to him and I said, you know what? I don't want to be one of those folks that sat back and said, I wish, I wish I could have done this, or I wish I could have done that. Um, I grabbed a friend of mine, uh, retired officer Bob Alexander. I said, man, we got to do something. We got to do something to honor Joe. And he's here, can still, can still tell the story of what things were like. And we started meeting, and I had to convince him because he's a very modest person. And I convinced him, I said, Joe, we're going to honor you no matter what. We're going to be honoring you because you did things that helped bring policing to a whole new standard. And, and I don't want to talk about you in the past. I want to talk about you now. And we started working on it. Mm. All right. John, I'm going to ask you to give the time, date, and location of the event once more, uh, once again, and also how people can obtain tickets. And then what, what was that last part you said? Uh, and how people can get tickets. Oh, yes, yes. This is important. And, um, and I have to say thank you down there at Chris for, um, in the medium newspaper and all for all of what you do to help keep the community informed. So many different events. So here we go. We, um, we are meeting on March 21st and it will be between, we have it listed, I believe, between five and, um, and, and nine o'clock, and we will be down at First AME Church on Fort, off of 14th and Pine, and we were um, and um, tickets. Oh, I'm I'm going to say it wrong. Tickets and deals, um, and it's a it's an agency that run, that, that works right there out of um, uh, the Medium newspaper and Chris Radio, and you can get your tickets there. Please pick up a copy of the Medium newspaper. This month you will see Joe Honored in the African American History Supplement that's in the article and also on page A or 3A where you will be able to go online and order the um, order tickets to the event. They're $60 at First AME and, uh, and we're we're looking forward to as many people that would be really interested in seeing a true icon who made changes in our community. So uh, 
I think that's the biggest part to tell you right at this moment. All right. Well, John, I want to thank you for joining us on today's show. Thank you and your colleagues for putting it together, this event, um, as well on March 21st, and wish you all the best in all your future endeavors. And thank you, Chris, for all the help you gave us support, and it's, it's, a, it's a great feeling. It's a really, really oh. great to have a collaboration with you. All right. We appreciate it. Again, the event will take place on Thursday, March 21st at 5 p.m. at First Amity Church in Seattle. Tickets are available online at ticketsanddeals.com. That, again, tickets are available online at ticketsanddeals.com. Uh, if you want to hear, find out more information about Mr. Tolliver, uh, there is a feature about him in this week's Seattle Mediums newspaper in the Black Special Black History Supplement that is there. You can also go online to seattlemedium.com and search for that article as well. But again, the event will take place on Thursday, March 21st at 5 p.m. at First Amity Church in Seattle. And again, tickets are available online at ticketsanddeals.com.